Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Ever since its inception in Galveston, Texas, June 19, 1866, one year after enslaved African Americans in the state learned of their freedom due to the Emancipation Proclamation and the 13th Amendment, Juneteenth celebrations have tended to focus on education and reflection on the path to freedom and the steps still needed to achieve equity. Following this long tradition, Utah State University is commemorating Juneteenth this week with virtual and in-person events from Friday through Sunday, featuring educational panels and presentations on early and current activism and its importance and culminating in an interfaith devotional. And today we'll be talking with one of the event's organizers, Cree Taylor, a lecturer in the USU English Department. We'll also uh, talk later in the program with singer and filmmaker Maoli Jr. Bonner, whose film His Name is Green Flake will be screened as part of these celebrations on Saturday. And uh, so we bring in again uh, in studio Cree Taylor. Thank you for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, welcome back to the program. Um, so uh, I mentioned you're a, you're a lecturer in the English Department, right? Yes, I am. Uh, what's your uh, remind me your, your background? What you what your um, what are your degrees in? Um, so I got my bachelor's of science in English teaching from Utah State University. Um, left, had a couple kids, came back, and got my master's of science in liter- English literature and writing. And so up there, I teach um, first year writing and composition. I teach some literature courses, and I also teach an ethnic studies course up there. All right. And also, uh, I think, faculty advisor at the Black Student Union? Yes, that's a new job for me, and it's been really fun. That's part of um, why I'm so involved with Juneteenth this year, is in that role as Black Student Union faculty advisor. Yeah. Um, So before we talk about celebrations at USU, and the first one was last year, right? Yes, this is our second one. Yeah. Uh, Let's have you tell us about the original Juneteenth. Well... I when I start to share the story about Juneteenth, I always give people this this disclaimer that it, like much of Black history, the story itself begins in a really sad way, um, but we celebrate it now. So as we are familiar with, um, President Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, um, and it went into effect on January first, eighteen sixty-three. And that proclamation freed all the state, all of the enslaved persons within the states that were still in the union, well, within the states that were. Um, the Confederate States. It, it freed all of those enslaved people. Um, the Civil War ended and um, enslaved folks had become free. However, um, in Texas, uh, the slave owners there decided not to tell their um, their people that they had been free. Um, there's speculation about why. Um, it took a long time for news to travel back in the 1800s, right? Um, but most historians say that the reason they didn't tell them was because they wanted them around for one more harvest. Just do this last harvest, and then we'll tell you, and then you can go. Um, and so they were out working, and um, some military, U.S. military, made their way to Texas and was like, what's going on? Why are you all still working? And they're like, well, that, that's what we do. We work. And they're like, no, you've been, you've been free for a while. And so that, that day happened on June 19, 1866. So it was what, a year, a couple years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed, a couple years after the Civil War was over. And so it is kind of a sad beginning. However... Now, this day is used, it's used to remember, but it's also used to celebrate. Celebrate this idea that finally the last enslaved persons in the United States are officially free and able to navigate the world as they see fit. And then it became uh, known by various names, I understand. Emancipation Day, Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, Liberation Day. Yes, right? lots of days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the official name is Juneteenth, right? June 19th. Um, when I talk to my kids about it, I call it Freedom Day. Uh, mm-hmm. It just has this beautiful ring to it. Um, but I feel like all of those names are so important because they note that we are celebrating um, and enjoying what this day represents. It's not a day for, for wallowing. It's a day for learning and then celebrating how far we've come. Now, I don't know really any of this history, but I, I'm just, I, I'm wondering, uh, so then uh, this became, I'm sure, big or celebrated in African-American communities, right? I mean, yes and no. Uh-huh. I would I would say that um, as you navigate your way along the, the southern part of the United States and maybe even over into, into California, Juneteenth celebrations are massive. Um, in uh, Texas, for example, uh, there, there's a, a huge parade. They, maybe they have pageants and massive barbecues. Just It's a huge celebration similar to Fourth of July celebrations, right? Um, 
However, there are a lot of folks in Utah and Idaho, myself included, that didn't learn about this holiday until we were much older. I didn't grow up celebrating this holiday in my home. Mm. Um, I was adopted. My parents are white, but they didn't know. I mean, they lived in Idaho, and that's not something that was celebrated. Um, A lot of the folks that I have talked to that that, um, in Utah are kind of like, what is this day? What are we supposed to be celebrating? Um, And so... I'm glad now that we're able to bring the joy of this holiday to people. And I'm so happy that I was able to learn about it um, as an adult and participate in, in uh, furthering the celebrations here. Yeah. I imagine, that I, again, I'm showing my ignorance, but uh, I, I can imagine this became the celebrations where they were celebrated became even more poignant during Jim Crow. Um, I, I would venture to say yes, um, but I, again, my history, my background is not necessarily in history, so my knowledge of the holiday as the history of it being celebrated is, is somewhat limited. Um, I, do, I do know that since that happened, it's the day has been marked, the weekend has been marked um, in the black community for, for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, um, it's only somewhat recently this has creeped into the, the, the overall national consciousness, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, I guess I can go a little bit further back into their last year, um, kind of in the heat. So last year, what year, 2021, I'm like, what year is it this year? In 2021, um, we were still on the heels of a lot of civil un- and political unrest um, with regards to um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Amand Arbery, and all of those shootings that had happened in 2020. And I feel like because we were in isolation from um, the pandemic, people paid closer attention um, to what's what was happening to black folks in the United States. People were what else do you do when you're stuck at home all day? Um, you're surfing social media, you're watching the news. Um, and I think that brought forth um, a different type of activism where people were looking for actionable things they could do to support and be an allyship to the black community. Um, people including right our, our, our state and federal leaders in government. Um, so yeah, it, it's been around. It's been happening. Um, however, last year, Um, was when it was signed to be a national holiday um, by President Biden. And this year um, was when our state legislator in in Utah made it a state holiday. Um, And so now it's a thing. People get it's Monday, right? Monday the 20th this year is that that celebration day. Yeah, amazing. Um, so you work with you know, the Black Student Union. You work with students. Yes, I love students. Uh, what what are they? We're going to play a clip a little later on. But have you characterized this uh, this now? The fact this is a national holiday, state holiday now. I, I feel like the students that I've spoken to, and as I've been working with the Black Student Union, um, particularly for our state and our university, right? We're a predominantly white institution, and I think there's a sense I, I get from them a sense of pride. Um, that there's a day where they are recognized, they are celebrated for excellence and brilliance, and they just get to go out and have fun. Um, they're working hard helping uh, uh, helping us plan the Juneteenth celebrations, and also I think they just they feel grateful. They feel a sense of gratitude, and they really want folks to come out and celebrate in that joy with them um, because it's not very often that that happens for them and so that's kind of what I've what I've gathered and and some of my students have grown up in in their homes they did celebrate Juneteenth and others have not Mm -hmm. and um, so this is a really cool opportunity for them for both of those uh, groups of students to just be together and be at Utah State and be celebrated and um, excited about who they are. So I want to play this uh, this is a clip from uh, last year Uh, let me pull this up here um just a second. So, uh, and then we'll play a clip from this year. These are just various voices um, from from last year, which is the first, uh, I think, Juneteenth celebration at USU, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, and uh, so you'll hear uh, various voices here. Let's let's just hear this, and you, know, you can comment on this afterwards. Um, it's just just uh, various voices reflecting on what Juneteenth means to them. So let's hear this. Not many people know about Juneteenth because it was never covered in schools. All I heard in school is that people like me were slaves 
And I'm thinking, are you serious? And I just was ashamed of that. How a narrative's being told about your country, about your history, is very important. In order to move forward, you have to be able to acknowledge, recognize, and respect the history, the full history. You know, people talk about the slaves. No, they were enslaved. It wasn't, it wasn't a job they were getting paid to do. It wasn't something they volunteered to do. Black people at that time were enslaved. They were a property. These conversations are very transparent. You have to have that ability to be open, to receive constructive criticism, to be able to hold yourself accountable. Admitting mistakes can begin to heal and to begin to heal particularly wounds of others that have that have suffered the, the, the consequences of other people's actions. But at the same time, I'm a part of this history. And, and I want for us as a society to continue to move forward and, and celebrate what has been so that we can really fully appreciate where we're going and what's to come. I really feel that I am my ancestors' wildest dreams because um, it fathoms me at times that I am even in this place of power and position as a PhD candidate. Being able to think about that in the era of when Juneteenth took place was not even on their mind. We want to be able to celebrate, you know, our ancestors and not, you know, always look at them from this deficit mindset, but to celebrate them from this asset approach. And so I think that that is important to, to recognize for Juneteenth as well as it's not only a day of reckoning, but it's a day of celebration too. So that's uh, just a collection of voices from Utah State University uh, talking about um, last year's Juneteenth uh, celebration. Several things I want to uh, say there. Uh, we should note that the gentleman who was a Ph.D. candidate has now he's become graduated. a Ph.D. He's graduated. He's, he's graduated. He has his Ph.D. That, that, that's Jamal Jared Alexander, yeah. and he is my co-chair. He and I have been working so close this year, um, closely together this year with our committee to plan the events. And I do want to highlight the other another voice in there that you heard, um, Amand Hardiman, uh, he is a PhD student as well. And last year, Amand and Jamal Jared were the guys. They put together that entire week's worth of celebration and kicked off this, um, what we are pushing to continue to be an annual celebration up at Utah State. And Amand was working on some of his exams this year. So I was able to step in and kind of hopefully do a good job filling his shoes, working with Jamal Jared to plan the events. But those two, um, they, they've made their mark. Uh, on Utah State, and I just, I'm, they're dear, dear friends of mine. I, I really love and appreciate them. Uh, I want to have you follow up with uh, some things that were said. They're very interesting. Uh, one, um, one gentleman there uh, said that we, we don't want to keep uh, looking back at this history as, as deficit-oriented, yes. right? Yeah. Uh, look at it as asset-oriented. Uh, you, you said that this, uh, as with a lot of things, this holiday came about kind of based on a sad a delayed announcement of their freedom, right? Yeah. But you want this to be a celebration. Yes, yes. I think I, I've i tried to express, especially because, I mean, we're in Cache Valley. We're at Utah State, um, majority white area, predominantly white institution. Um, this holiday and this event series is for everyone, regardless of your race or nationality, regardless of your identity. Um and the opportunity is for us to acknowledge that the history of minoritized populations is U.S. history. I think there's sometimes a gap there, this idea that, well, if it's June, Juneteenth is about like formerly enslaved folks, it's for the black people. And I, if I am a white person or, or I'm not a black person, then I'm not able to be involved. Um, but that's not true, right? It's coming and enjoying the celebration. And there is some learning in that, right? That's that was mentioned in that video. It's 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 hard to have conversations about why this why we're celebrating this holiday. It's hard to to talk about um, the perils of uh, formerly enslaved folks and and the the hardships of minoritized populations. However, once we talk about it, then we have an opportunity to celebrate how far these groups have come um, since that miserable time, since that time, and that's what we're trying to focus on when I think because it's because I'm a teacher, but I think of deficit model. I think of um, talking about students, right? And we don't want to talk about students as a, in a deficit way. So we don't want to say, well, this student, they just don't have supports at home. They just don't have, they, they don't know how to do this. They don't know how to write. They don't know how, we don't talk about students that way, right? Instead we say we have an opportunity here to help students cultivate really great habits to make them good students. Um, we have students that do come from rough backgrounds, but as a teacher, it's my opportunity to be a light in their life to, to help teach them and share with them. Um, and so that's kind of why what, why, what we want to talk about here, especially with black history. It's not, 
this happened to the black people and now they're forever doomed to fail. It's yes, this happened to them. And also look at how much they have overcome and look at how much they've overcome in allyship with other populations who don't identify as much, um, who don't identify with them. So that's, that's getting away from that deficit thinking of people are bruised or people are responsible for what happened in the past. No, we're going to learn about it and we're going to keep moving forward in a celebratory manner looking at progress. Mm-hmm. So also in that uh, montage of voices, there, there was hinted at uh, a debate that continues today, which which is, you know, we, we have to admit the, the mistakes, right? Yeah. We, we can't close our eyes to the horrible parts of our history. We also want to move forward. And there's a tension. There's a tension there. You know, some people say, let's, you know, let, let's, uh, with regard to the, the conflicts that happen when you, when, as they see it, when you try to, to move forward to, toward equity. Yeah. Let's just, okay, let's, it, it happened and let's, uh, you know, let, let's all, um, I guess, essentially, I don't know, forget it, but, but, uh, you know, not keep harping on it, right? Right, right. And that's what some folks see it as, you know, but other, other folks see that we need to keep making progress. Right. Absolutely. And I, as you were talking, it just kind of sparked in my mind this idea of how we learn. We want to learn from the past so that those those things don't get repeated so we can recognize where people came from. Um, acknowledging and knowing where people came from can help us know more about them today. So it's not about reliving it over and over again. Um, it's instead about knowing it so that we can relate to each other better so that we can, and we talk about equity, we can create op- um, opportunities for everyone. Um, just because a person has more equitable access doesn't deny the access that another individual already has, right? It's not a either or. Either this person has rights or that person has rights. As if we're building each other up, then everyone benefits and everyone, um, yeah, everyone benefits. Uh, Bell Hooks, she uh, is a teacher and a scholar in education. Uh, she recently passed away. But she always wrote about um, she wrote and talked about this idea that it's good that people don't want what happened in the past to keep happening. Right. It's good that we want to overcome racism and and oppression. It's so good that we want that. And then she said, but it's also somewhat harmful that we're so eager to have it, that we just ignore what happened and don't try to solve. um, Don't try to think about or solve the issues in the present that were created by the past. Hmm. Where do you think we are on that? Uh, it's it, it ebbs and flows, right? Yeah, yeah. I. Oh, that's a good question, and I'm not. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for this. I'm not very old. Okay, I'm going to turn right. thirty this year, um, and so I haven't lived that long of a life, and I acknowledge that and recognize that. So I don't want people who um, have lived more life than me to go. What is this child trying to tell us about? about life and about acknowledging history. She's barely been alive for 30 years, right? Um, However, I do feel like the fact that conversations are happening, especially, you know, when I became more more politically and culturally conscious, you know, as a 17, 18 year old until now, um, the fact that conversations are happening is a sign of progress, right? Um, the I the fact that you have people who like me who can step into a classroom um, at Utah State and teach a whole course about the history of race and ethnicity in America um, to to majority white students and have a really great experience in having conversations with them that's progress, man. So and, and uh, yesterday or the day before was the anniversary of the Loving v. Virginia case that, that legalized interracial marriage. As a person who's in an inter- interracial marriage in an interracial marriage, that's progress. So I, I think sometimes people go, well, we've made so much progress and now you're harping on the past and it's negating all the progress. But how will we know what's progress? How will we know what to celebrate and take joy in if we can't remember or recall what happened before? You need both. The, the history and the, pre- the past and the present are inextricably linked. We can't separate it. And when we do, when we, when we say, well, emancipation and slavery and um, all those things, they're done. And we're not going to talk about them anymore, ever. You still have people today that go, well, hold on a minute. The events of the past have really affected my present. And I can't solve my present until, like, y'all acknowledge what happened and then how that had an impact on me. So we can't, you can't separate it. You can't move on from something until it's been addressed and until you're working actively to to help right the wrongs and to help um, 
just to help people in this country have have truly have equal opportunities and, and access and success. Let's hear. Uh, I want to hear another collection of voices. These. Uh, this is the 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 collection for the current year, right? Yes. For yes. this year's, and so these are students. Yeah, we uh, we we put together intentionally a, a video this year that highlighted our student athletes, our black student athletes, but also our non our non student athletes um, that are also black students on campus. Um, I've sometimes we equate that. Well, if you're a black student at USU, you also must be playing a sport, and that's not the case. So we have two voices from student athletics, one from football and one from women's soccer. And we have two voices from our Black Student Union. Um, one is our current Black Student Union president, uh, Nura Omer, and the other one is a cabinet member, um, Sammy Kaguthi. I think that's his last name, but those are the voices that you'll hear. All right. By the way, you can find a bunch of information on USU's Juneteenth celebrations, which are, again are happening Friday through Sunday of, of this month, of this week. Uh, USU.edu slash inclusion slash Juneteenth. Yes, and an easier way to find it is just put juneteenth.usu.edu and it'll redirect okay, you. Okay, very good. Yes. Uh, that is easier. Juneteenth.usu.edu. Yes. Okay. Well, let's hear these, uh, these voices here. Juneteenth to me is a reminder of how far we've come as a country and how far we still need to go. For me, knowing my ancestors had to work for freedom the fact that we're free today is definitely a big step from where we were in the past. Juneteenth, when I was growing up, it was more like a celebration of black excellence and us currently and how we can be great. It's just a great opportunity for me to learn about my culture and, and kind of remember where I came from. It's also a commemoration of the millions of people that this country was built on the backs of who weren't even seen as people at the time. It reminds me of like how they went on a path to allow me to have the life I have right now. Coming from nothing, literally from the ground and working our way to where we have today is, is something that African Americans, it shows that how tough we are, shows our determination. It reminds me that I'm super privileged where I am and I have all of these opportunities and it kind of makes me sad because there are so many dreamers that never got to fulfill that. Juneteenth is important to recognize and to celebrate just because a lot of people aren't really educated on what Juneteenth is about and there's a lot of things that they can learn, especially at our event that we're going to be having up here. Come out to the events, learn about the history and you can also see what we went through as a culture, as a race. So you can see where our pain is coming from when certain events happen in America and why we feel the way we feel. Just come and ask questions, come and learn, come and celebrate and dance and eat and all of those things. You never know, like some of these guest speakers could change your life and could open your mind to a lot of things. So I think it's really important you guys should come out to these events. All right, and those events can be found at juneteenth.usu.edu. Uh, it occurred to me, I just uh, one last question, then I want, want to have you maybe give me an overview of some of the events that are happening, uh, Cree Taylor. Um, you're in a position, it occurs to me, to, uh, you know, it's not a formal evaluation of how well K-12 is doing and teaching this history or families are doing teaching this history, but I imagine you'd have a variability of uh, students coming into your classes or in conversations you have with them uh, who would know more or less about this history. Yeah, um, and as was mentioned at the at the beginning of the hour, I am a lecturer in the English department. I'm trained in K through 12 teaching. I'm certified to teach K through 12 if I chose to go. Well, not K through 12, seven through 12 if I chose to go that route. Um, I do have. Well, she's going to be a first grader, but she was a kindergartner. And then, um, yes, I get the students in my classes are in general um, fresh out of high school, especially in the fall. They've just graduated high school in the spring, and I get them in my classroom in the fall. And in the spring, um, and I guess I don't want to offer an evaluative perspective. I, I, I love teachers. <laughs> so, so anytime someone asks me to comment about teachers, I, I just anything the teachers need, anything the teachers want. I mean, I am in their corner always, 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 and I don't condemn them um, for missing this. Uh, I did do my minor is in history and history teaching, um, and. There, I feel like there's this idea in teaching history that if we teach students about the more holistic view of the United States, that yes, we have um, a beautiful country that was the freedoms are established here. Um, people have so many opportunities here and you can make uh, so much of yourself. We're a very wealthy and, and wonderful, wonderful country. I mean, that's why I still live here. Right. Um, and also that's not exclusive. Our country has a really dark past and did some really awful things to people 
in route to accomplishing these ideals. It wasn't until, you know, more recent history that these ideals were accessible to everybody who actually lived here. And there's this fear, and that's what I learned from my through my education and talking to teachers and, and to parents, is that if we tell students the quote-unquote negative side or the dark side of U.S. history, they're going to hate our country. I'm like, that. I don't think so. I don't think that's true. Um, James Baldwin talked about how he loves America so deeply, so, so much, so profoundly. Obviously, this is not a direct quote, but he loves America so much that he reserves the right to criticize her openly because that will only help her become better. Um, and so as I look at the teaching of history and, and, and the conflicts that are happening, we know that everybody has good and bad in them. We know that everybody has um, positive attributes that have led to progression and negative attributes that it's like, why did you do that thing? You're this amazing person. So does our country. And I think allowing our students, especially um, in the K through 12 level, to recognize both that greatness and sadness can exist in our country at the same time. Not only will it help them recognize how amazing this country is because of what we're able to do and how far we've come in spite of that sadness, they'll also recognize that it's okay to have those things in themselves. Um, so yeah, so I asked my kindergartner, you know, around Martin Luther King Jr. Day this year, like, what did you do? What did you talk about? She's like, well, we didn't really talk about him that much. And my heart hurt and I took her home and we talked about it at home. Um, I get students into my ethnic studies class and I'll mention, um, you know, something about, um, racism and biology and, and, and race science and how, what, what, how race science was developed. And they'll just be like, I just never knew this. I wish I would have knew, known this before. I wish I would have learned about this before. So there's definitely a gap. Um, part of me is like, come on, people, like, put it in there. But then I go, no, teachers are, teachers are doing great. I can't put that all on them, right? Teachers and parents, and we work together to do this. And then the other part of me is like, well, if they already knew it, then they wouldn't need my class, and then I wouldn't have anybody in my class. Mm-hmm. But the, it's, there's always more to learn. And we can always be better and, and do better as teachers and as parents um, to help our children know this stuff, to help them be aware of this stuff so that they're not confronted and then automatically have these feelings of hatred and anger. Instead, they just go, you know what? That did happen. And look at what we did to make it so it's not happening anymore. How mm. wonderful is that? Uh, just have a minute or two left uh, here in this segment. Uh, give you a chance to highlight uh, some some events that are that a lot of events happening. So yes, there's there's some there's some uh, a full variety of of, uh, of events, and you can go and get the full thing at Juneteenth.usu.edu. What would you highlight? Yes, okay. So this uh, last year they did a week long of events and one event each day. This time we decided to do three days of events and just pack them up, just load them up. So um, our event theme for Friday is Educate, uh, Friday, June 17th. That's when everything kicks off. So we've partnered with um, the Nora Eccles Harrison Museum of Art. We also have the Utah Black History Museum bus coming up to our campus um, to put things on display that talk about black history as it relates to the state of Utah and Utah State in particular. Um, And the goal of this day is to just help folks realize why Juneteenth should be celebrated in Utah, because we don't always think about that as a Utah thing. Um, So that's kind of the goal. So you have the museum display place you can go through. We are having a silent auction and we have some great items um, donated for that. Um, We have um, on Friday also our panel series. We have three panels happening that day. The first one starts at noon and that's our student and alumni panel um, just with with, uh, USU current students and some alumni to talk about their experiences. Our second panel that day um, and I don't want to tell you when it starts because I don't remember (laughs) but you can get it at our website. I think it starts at Uh, I'm seeing uh, noon. Noon. Okay, that's what I was going to say. This is our panel with some of our um, former student athletes. So we have representatives there from men's basketball, football, um, women's basketball, track and field, of course. I I ran track at Utah State, so I called on my old track buddies to come and and speak. And so they're going to talk about their perspective and experiences as a student athlete at Utah State. And then that evening, we have a wonderful panel that I think people are going to love. They're going to love all of them. But that evening, our panel is our interfaith panel. So we put together um, four black faith leaders from across the across the state of Utah to come and talk about activism as it relates to Christianity. I feel like sometimes um, as Christians at, and and people of faith, activism is a tricky word. We're not sure what to do, right? It's like, well, I, I, I care about the cause, but I'm not really a marcher. Like, I, I can't go out and march, but what can I do? And so this panel is going to address those things about how people of faith can work together to build um, unity um, in diversity in our community. That's Friday. So that day, there's stuff happening all day. Go to our website. You can print off the schedule. 
come and take a look at that. Um, on Saturday, June the 18th, that's our Celebrate Day. And this day is, has a lot of events on it that would be great to bring your your whole family and your kids out to. Um, we have a 5K in the morning. That's at our cross-country course up here on campus, the Stephen Donna Reader cross-country course. That starts at 8.30. That afternoon is our barbecue. This barbecue will take place at Bridger Park, which is right next door to Bridger Elementary School. Um, we wanted to pick a central location that was easy for our community members to get to, um, especially the little ones, uh, to come out. Um, we have Big Blue's going to be there. There's some Aggie ice cream. We've got face painting and crafts and yard games and a photo booth and a DJ. Um, just coming and highlighting that celebratory nature of what Juneteenth is. Um, and then that we do have barbecue from Five Star Barbecue. And if you would like the barbecue, we do have to charge a small fee for the food. But if you just want to come and hang out and eat ice cream, then you can do that as well. Um, and then that evening is our His Name is Green Flake movie screening um, that you'll hear more about um, later um, when Molly Jr. Bonner is on the show. And then finally... On Sunday, that is our interfaith devotional. And we recognize that we're competing with a lot of things on Sunday. Um, mainly Father's Day is Sunday. <laughs> so, um, But um, we are going to, we have a gift for fathers, past, present, future fathers. Um, so when you do come, um, we have a gift for you. We're going to acknowledge you and recognize you. But this is just our opportunity to celebrate um you know, the history that the, the, the black church has on black life today um, and on these types of events. But we've got, excuse me, we've got music. Uh, the Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir would be up singing. Um, Yehosh Bonner will be here singing. Um, and we have great speakers. Um, Harry and Deborah Bonner will be speaking. So will Pastor Daryl Jackson from um, Trinity AME Church down in Salt Lake. So it's going to be so much fun. <laughs> um, and I just, I really strongly want to encourage people to come out Come celebrate with us. Um, if I can, Tom, I'll just add kind of on a personal note. I mentioned uh, earlier in the show that I was adopted. I was raised by white parents. My parents had two children and then they adopted five um, black and biracial children. And they worked so hard um, raising us during the 80s, 90s and, and 2000s to help us be comfortable and know about who we are as black people. Um, they, they did the best that they could. I know that if an event like this would have been around when I was growing up, they would have taken me right to it mm. because I would have been able to see grown-ups that looked like me that were being successful. And representation is so, so important. And I know that there are a lot of families in our community who also are like mine. You have white parents and they adopted black children, which I think is a beautiful and wonderful thing. This is a great place to bring your children so they can see grownups who look like them and they can celebrate in who they are. Um, and if you bring them, let me meet them, my love. I, I want to I see all these kiddos because I'm so excited. But I just really, really want to strongly encourage those parents who are like, ah, I'm not quite sure. Yes. Bring them up. Bring them up. Um, there's going to be so many um, examples of black excellence up here um, at all of our events, and it's just going to be a lot of fun. Very good. Juneteenth.usu.edu is where you can find out uh, all about this. Uh, yes. Juneteenth celebrations Friday through Sunday of uh, this week. Uh, Cree Taylor, lecturer in the English department and a faculty advisor of the Black Student Union at USU has been with us. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, following a break, we are going to bring in Molly uh, Jr. Bonner, who is a songwriter who's recently become a filmmaker. And uh, his uh, film's got uh, rave reviews and some awards from... Uh, from festivals. Uh, it's called His Name is Green Flake, and uh, we'll talk about it following this break. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about Juneteenth celebrations, specifically those will be happening at Utah State University. You can find out more about those at juneteenth.usu.edu. Uh, in this uh, last half hour, we talked with one of the organizers, Cree Taylor, and now we bring in um, singer and filmmaker Molly Jr. Bonner, whose film uh, His Name is Green Flake will be screened as part of the celebration Saturday at 6 p.m. Uh, Molly Jr. Bonner, thank you so for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, so this, uh, the, your, your film's getting, uh, some, some great reviews. Um, you're a singer. How, how did it happen that you made a film? Well, you, well, I develop singers, so I, I write Oh, you develop singers, okay. Pop. Well, well, you know, by default, because I have to prepare them to sing. Right. Uh, but, you know, my career has been developing pop artists, getting them ready for shows and performances and, and songwriting. And, um, the, yeah, film was something that I never even imagined doing. I didn't have a, a desire to be a filmmaker. It just kind of fell on my heart. Uh, so uh, how did you encounter this history of uh, Green Flake? 
It was at the B1 celebration in 2018. Uh, my family, the Bonner family, sang at the celebration of the priesthood ban being lifted, or the priesthood being given to all men uh, for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And I, I mean, I had heard of Elijah Abel and Jane Manning James and some of the, the more prominent uh, names of, of early black members of the Church, but Green Flake, I hadn't. And to learn of him and that he was enslaved as a member of the Church, it just... It made me want to dive in uh, to learning more about the history. Uh, so, so tell me, uh, we, we, I guess we don't know of his full history. We don't know uh, as much about him as Elijah Abel, right? Right, right. There's, there's not a whole lot there. I mean, uh, but the little that we know is just, just it's overwhelming. It's just a beautiful uh, story of, of strength and, um, and the sacrifices that he made. And because of his sacrifices on the Pioneer Trek, you know, hundreds of thousands of ancestors of those pioneers are are thriving in Utah. So he was uh, he was in the vanguard of that first company, eighteen forty seven. I understand. Uh, yeah, that's correct. He was in that uh, vanguard company, and at winter quarters, when Brigham Young became ill, he sent a group of of men ahead. So uh, forty two men, twenty three wagons, uh, through Immigration Canyon ahead of of him, a couple days ahead of Brigham Young into the Salt Lake Valley, and Green Flake drove the first wagon. Uh, he was a slave. Yes, he was enslaved by the Flake family, so that's where his last name came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was a few families that sent um, a few of their uh, enslaved uh, members of the Church uh, to be a part of this Vanguard company, and he was one of them. Uh, so uh, so there he is, and, and I understand he is, his name is on that list of pioneers and that, you know, the famous monument downtown Salt Lake City, right? Um, so there's a list of three colored servants, I believe is how they're described. Ah, yes. Uh, they're described, you know, uh, but uh, when you look on the, uh, at Parley's Creek, and you see that first encampment that came in there, his name is on that rock along uh, along one of the the rocks, along with Oscar, Oscar Lay is how it's written, even though he changed his names to, I'm sorry, Oscar Smith um, and uh, Hark Wales. Hmm. Uh, now you're working, uh, I'm skipping ahead, we'll, we'll loop back, but uh, y- y- your goal is to uh, have a monument erected to Green Flake, right? Is that the, the case? That's it. That's it. You know, the funny thing is, is that was not the original plan. The original plan was, you know, I, I just felt like the story needed to get out there. People needed to know this history because it just inspired me. And I realized that, you know, when you're dealing with sensitive parts of American history and uh, church history, when it comes to African Americans, it can be, you know, faith-crushing. But for me, learning this history was faith-building, and I wanted to make sure that everybody had the opportunity to have the same experience I did. So I made the film, put it into film festivals, and then it started winning you know, best film, best film in L.A., in Rome, and Istanbul, and and I was like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And so I thought, okay, let's get all the cast and crew together to take a picture by the monuments. I live in L.A., so I don't know what monuments were there in Utah. And so when I looked in Salt Lake and saw that there were no monuments that honored Green Flake and other enslaved pioneers, I realized that that's what this project was all about. So yes, a monument is to be erected for Green Flake and other members of the Vanguard Company um, on July 22nd. Uh, it's going up, is it? It's it's happening. All July right. 22nd, yeah. 10 a.m. at This is the Place Heritage Park. All right. Well, congratulations. That's uh, a uh, big achievement. Thank you. Um, you mentioned faith. You're, you're, you're a member of the faith, right? Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I am. Yeah, encountering this history, I guess, in some of the history of Brigham Young, for example, I understand 1852, Utah, or, or Deseret, I guess, became slave territory. In the end, Green Flake was freed, I think, right? But uh, And that coupled with the, the ban of the priesthood in, in the church, um, uh, you might have ex- expected that uh, a person like yourself, this might, the native negatively affected your faith. Yeah, I mean... Honestly, you uh, you would think that, I, and I, I would imagine that learning that history, like, oh my gosh, wait, what? The church enslaved other members, and Utah became all of these bombs that are being dropped. You would imagine that it would just shake my testimony, but it didn't, and I can't even explain why. But I think it's just because when we learn truth, 
no matter how difficult it is, truth, it strengthens us. It builds us, you know, but um, I think when, if I was to learn this history through like some Google search and never heard it before, then there's a problem, you know, but to hear the story told by someone who shares their same culture and faith, it feels different. And so I'm, I'm just thrilled for people to be able to have the opportunity to learn this. And was it a shock? Yes. But honestly, African-American history in America is shocking. It's, it's not, you know, it, there's just more and more that continues to be uncovered that is shocking, but it's also strengthening because it's truth. What did you, uh, you know, not a whole lot of facts uh, known about uh, Green Flakes, uh, you, did you take some artistic license, fill out a few things that you think may have happened with him? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to. Um, you know, so you, I'll take a letter that's written and then creating a scene based on a letter written to, you know, for example, one, there was a member who had a real issue with uh, Green Flake and uh, how he was behaving. felt like he wasn't behaving the way someone typically enslaved should behave and that he should be signed over to him and so that he can break him and teach him how to be. And that letter written then creates this character and this interaction. And so it, I, I'm, I'm, I have to fill in the blanks with, with letters and journal entries. And uh, it, it wasn't easy, but it was thrilling. Uh, I want to play the the trailer here. Um, you'll you'll hear you know, some dramatic moments in this trailer. Let's let's just hear this, and we'll talk a little bit more about uh, this. The, the film is his name is Green Flake. We're talking with the filmmaker uh, Molly Junior Bonner. The master come, and it's freezing cold. But the first thing he gonna do, make fire, and what the slaves gonna do. The construction of winter quarters is imperative to our survival. I'll come back for you. Eat your breakfast, pack your things, say your goodbyes. I promise. It's gonna be hard enough getting here. What sense that make? Coming all the way back. So don't come back. Just survive. Ain't gonna be nothing here for you. Promise me. Run. Bring. I want for you. I wouldn't be here. We all made sacrifices. Only way we make it is together. There's the trailer to His Name is Green Flake. Sounds exciting there, and it is an ex- <laughs> exciting uh, film. Uh, what do you want uh, people to take away? What do you want the film to do to, to accomplish? Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I think I just want um, people to get more of our shared history. You know, I think that, um, you know, I don't think it's just unique to America but and or in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but history picks its heroes, and... Uh, there's just so much more. There's so much more, especially when it comes to those of African descent here in America, and uh, to learn of the contributions of African Americans and the faith that they had while enduring enslavement um, is just strengthening. I think that um, many of us have gone through or will go through a faith crisis where they're not sure, we're not sure, you know, how much if we can continue believing what we believe or what we believe and to know that there are people that endured atrocities that I can never imagine and were able to hold on to the core of their beliefs um, despite how people were treating them. Um, uh, it's an example, and I think that we will all be strengthened by it. 
What, uh, I'm, I'm sure you've you know noticed the reactions of the film, the uh, you know good critical reviews, etc. What about the the folks that you've shown this to? They've responded back to you. What what from that reaction has has uh, most stood out to you? Um, I think a lo- I think a lot of people just the, the question is like, wait a second, they were free when they were on the Pioneer Trek, right? Or when they got to Utah. They were free then, right? Or they weren't. It wasn't the members who who enslaved them, right? And so, it's just hard to fathom because you don't think of uh, church members, LDS church members, and and that there's a church ward where some people are enslaving other people and other people are abolitionists. Can you imagine the tension in those wards? I, I just it, it it blows me away. And so, the questions that I get are it. Is this true? And now that we know this, what do we do with it? And I just tell folks to get to the root of your testimony, because if your testimony lies in culture or people, then it's just a matter of time before that's shaken and broken. But we have to get to the root of what we believe. Mm-hmm. What is the root of it? Because there's, there's going to be more things that show up that we just feel so strongly against. And so we have to be ready for those, uh, for those things when they come. So there'll be a monument to, to Green Flake. What what will what do you want this monument to mean? When people come and uh, you know ex- experience that, view it. What what do you hope they think? Well, I just I just want it to. I, I want Utah to be what it's trying to be, which is a place that is for everyone, every culture, every people, every person. And I know that it wants to be that, but how can it be that if there are? Uh, there's no representation of African Americans who were once enslaved here in the state, you know, and who were a big part of of laying the foundation of it, you know. And so, uh, I just want to help it tell the full story, you know, and because it, it, it's our shared history, um, you know, and it's because of these enslaved pioneers. There's, like I said, there's hundreds of thousands of of people who live in Utah now that have ancestors that were on that pioneer trek and who benefited from the trail that was blazed by these enslaved pioneers church leadership our own governor governor cox comes from that you know it's it's entrenched into our culture our government um our social circles it's our shared history and i hope that there's more stories to be told about it by the way just have about a minute left i'm interested your your songwriter uh this turned into a screenplay, and then you became a filmmaker. What uh, are there more films ahead for you? Uh, there are, there are. You know, I, someone told me was I was uh, uh, filming on set. Like, oh, I think you caught the bug, and I said, oh, I sure hope not. I need to go make money. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think I have caught the bug. You know, it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to tell stories through film, and um, uh, the next one is underway. I'm doing the uh, the history of Elijah Abel and. We're going to learn about him. He was one of the first priesthood holders um, in the Church, and so I'll continue to tell more stories so that we all can have the full the full scope of our shared history. Well, there's a screening of uh, His Name is Green Flake. That's 6 p.m. on Saturday in the Wanless Performance Hall on the USU campus. That's a part of Juneteenth celebrations uh, at Utah State University. And uh, you can check out uh, information about the film at greenflakemovie.com. We've been talking with the uh, the filmmaker, Molly Jr. Bonner. Thank you so much for taking some time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah today. We recently bought a new stove, our previous one adopting a nasty habit of not fully shutting off after use. I didn't love our old one. In fact, I can't remember a time I didn't curse it since moving into our home over a decade ago. But I also joked it would never die, and I couldn't, in good conscience, replace a perfectly adequate appliance. But die it did, 13 years after the jokes and complaints started. I did hate it, but I knew its quirks. We had learned to live with each other until unplugging it became the sole method of shutting off, and it was obvious appliance shopping was eminent. I am not a woman who loves shopping. I'm a woman who loves to part with her money even less. But knowing supply issues are still a thing, I logged on and started my search. Normally, I would take time in finding just the right price and product. Notebooks full of notes and comparisons would be involved. 
but our time crunch threw that out the window and diving in ruled the day. We ended up with a model that matched our replacement of a few years ago fridge, and it's lovely, and having them match is, while not something I ever really thought about or cared about, an aesthetic that I begrudgingly admit to being nice. I understand that is something a lot of people do care about and is nearly universal on design sites and within the influencer community. No one could ever accuse me of being an influencer, however. Our older model stove was builder's grade sturdy, get the job done just shy of 15 years ago. Our new stove can seemingly fly a solo mission to Mars on a moment's notice. And while I plainly see that the next few lines will out me as someone sliding down the hill of old at an alarming rate of speed, here goes. My new stove is fancy, and it's barely upgraded from the base model. Remember, loathe to part with money. Or it might be the base model. Either, it's not even cracking the surface of things stoves can now do, but the call of fancy is still alive in its soul. Every time I go to bake something, I look at the buttons and, I swear, start a sequence of pressing things that is reminiscent of base coaches in a sports ball game, or mission command at NASA, or the sequence of nuclear codes guarded heavily near the president, or so I've heard. Sports metaphors aren't really in my wheelhouse. I'm not a STEM kind of girl, and my knowledge of nuclear football was enhanced by watching TV presidents nearly using them on several occasions. Nonetheless, baking has become something altogether more complicated than before. I have three new lines of choices facing me instead of my previous bake or broil options from my now-deceased oven. Three lines! And bake is in every one of them, just with slightly altered wording on each. I am not deficient in the kitchen, but this situation makes me feel for every mocked home cook on any home cooking show. The playing field has been severely altered. The one feature I was really excited about was the fifth burner. Its sole function, clearly labeled, encased between two back burners, keep warm. Oh, I cannot tell you how often I wished for a keep warm burner. It seemed, as you juggle pots and pans in preparation of a meal, the smartest of inventions. I have used it exactly once. I'm not declaring it dead quite yet, or even officially useless. I do think it must be useful. Uh, Melting butter for popcorn comes to mind. But I have not turned it on quite like I imagined I would during the years of lamenting not having one. I'm still holding on to the hope that the one feature and I will be best friends for years and decades to come. It may simply be stubborn pride over denial that stoves are more complicated now, but I'm still holding on. Now, our washer has been making some moves of its own towards breaking lately. We'll see if round two is nearer to my future than I would like. This is Tanya Gibson for She Goes On.